are in uh, day 17 of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I think as I look back on uh, my ministry, this is a sabbatical year for Kelly and I, and, uh, and well, theoretically it is, hopefully it is. If we can't travel, we may postpone it, but if we can travel some, then, uh, then this will be our sabbatical year and uh, this summer. But I, I, I just am taking this year to kind of reflect over past years uh, in, in just our ministry life and areas of our life where we've seen God's hand and movement and uh, success, and I don't mean successes in church growth, but really success in the fruit of what God's done in and through us. And, um, and as I look back on the years, one of the pivotal times of my life was uh, I was sitting at a conference of all places and, and listening to a pastor speak to a group of other pastors about prayer. And recognizing that in my life, I wasn't leading our church very well in this area of prayer. I wasn't doing a great job in that in my own personal life, but certainly not modeling that for for our church and leading our church in that. And so it was then that we began uh, a a rhythm of 21 days of prayer and fasting in, in January, and then 21 days of prayer in August. And uh, the last couple of years, we've kind of gotten away from that, and, I, and it's lost its, um, uh, I guess, drive in my life. And I, and I just want to confess to you that that's changing, that we are going back into that rhythm. Because when I look back on the fruitfulness in the pivotal times of my life and of this church's life, it was birthed out of a dedication to pray. And so... As we move forward, as the best is yet to come, I believe the best is yet to come, not because all of a sudden we've got a vaccine or all of a sudden we have new politics or, or any of that, certainly none of that. The reality is, is the best is yet to come because his people are going to be committed and dedicated to a life of prayer. Not a list of prayer, but a life of prayer. And so we find ourselves in day 17 of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I don't know how your fast is going. Um, Mine started out really, really good and easy. And it was because I couldn't taste anything. Uh, And so I was eating kale and no meat. And, you know, I mean, it it, it was just, it was honestly the most success I've had with a fast, a food fast. And then I got my taste back, and now it's struggling a little bit. Uh, because there's just this sense of, of uh, you get your taste back, and you feel like you got to eat everything. So any weight I lost through COVID is, is coming back. With, with, with very few exceptions over the last uh, seven years or so, we have been meeting on Saturday mornings for prayer. Uh, there's a group of us. It's not a large group. It's uh, at times just a couple people. At other times, it's uh, you know ten, fifteen people, and and yet it's a faithful group of people who come and pray for you. They pray for this service. They pray for uh, our country. They pray for uh, our world. And and yesterday was uh, a focus on unreached people groups. We prayed for our ministry in Colombia and, and the opportunity that we have to partner with MMI and reaching unreached people groups along the Amazon River. And and we pray and we, we gather together and we spend time in prayer. And I think what happens is sometimes we can th- 
think that we can't be a person of prayer because we're not either qualified or we don't know how to pray. And one of the great dangers of, um, again, I told you this is kind of a soapbox this morning, but one of the dangers of, of our Christianity, of, our, of, our, uh, of being followers of the way of Jesus in America is, is that it has been fairly easy and convenient for us to be Christ followers. And unfortunately, it has lulled us into a complacency. Uh, to the point at which we find ourselves not necessarily dedicated to a life of prayer, but, but praying in, the, in times of need. And I think what the Lord is doing in His church, not just Lifehouse Church, but in His Big C Church in America, is there is a great reformation that's taking place, a great shakeup that's happening and his people, people who are people of the way, are going to be challenged in this life. Much more than we've experienced in the past. And uh, I'm not prophetically speaking that. I'm just looking ahead into the book and recognizing that things are going to get challenging. And yet, we don't have to falter. We don't have to... Uh, to be back on our heels because we know that our strength and our hope and, and all lies in the name of Jesus. We've been hearing prayers about Jonah and about Jabez and, and our hope in this series on book of prayers is uh, that these would be inspiring, that these would be encouraging, that if if Jonah can walk in complete disobedience and God still hear his voice, then we can recognize that our disobedience or even our doubt does not disqualify us from the Lord hearing our voice. If we get to hear from Jabez and, uh, and be challenged to be stretched into more of what God has for our lives and to be encouraged to say that I actually think that I could pray. I could be a person of prayer and not just a person with a prayer list. I used this verse last week, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, pray in the Spirit in every situation. Use every kind of prayer and request there is. I want to learn how to pray every prayer there is. I want to learn how to to pray the prayers of Scripture, to certainly pray the Lord's Prayer in my daily life. I want to be a person who is a constant learner in how to pray. Interestingly, the disciples, after uh, seeing Jesus and walking with Jesus throughout his ministry for a few years, they they saw Jesus preach. They saw Jesus, I mean, he preached to the masses. Jesus had a following mega church, a mobile mega church that he was just continuing to preach to. And he would go to the crowds and he would heal people and they would uh, do, their, their miracles would be performed and people would be healed, the blind would see, the lame would walk. And, and interestingly, the disciples find themselves in a place where they go to Jesus and they ask Jesus, not teach us how to perform miracles. Not teach us how to preach better. 
they go to Jesus and they ask him, teach us how to pray. How do we, as, as disciples, as followers of you, how do we pray? We've seen you pray. We've, we've seen you model prayer to the Father. How can we be people of prayer? And he goes on and he gives them, uh, obviously, a, a list of things that is called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and I've preached on that and I'm not preaching on that this morning. But, but check this out. They, they ask Jesus how to pray. And he tells them, and then he even invites them to come uh, and pray with them. And he's going to model for them how to pray. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They, they fall asleep and, and they get bored. One of the great challenges of, of us being followers of the way of Jesus, and certainly if we've been following along amount of time is that we can get so comfortable that we fall asleep on the important part of our journey, and that is in our prayer. I want to take a look at the prayer of the New Testament church this morning in Acts chapter 12, but before we get there, I was reminded of James chapter 5 verse 16. I'm going to throw it back old school into the New King James version. I don't usually use this version. Uh, It's It's a good version, I just don't use it. Um, It says, confess your trespasses to one another. Other translations, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. A couple things that stick out to me on this verse is the first is that it's used a lot. It's used a lot. It's used in the, in the context of we just need to continue to pray through, and we do. And I'm going to talk about that today. But, but it's also like you just need to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. But what sticks out to me is that it's that word righteous, the righteous man. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. Our American Christianity has led us to believe that if we just keep on praying, then he's obligated to respond no matter how we live our life. That we can live our life however we want, and when something comes of a need, we can go to him, and as long as we are fervently praying, he's got to answer them. And I I just want to challenge each of us in this, and myself included, is that it's it's like uh, I'll give you I'll give you just an honest example of this. Uh, I uh, I had to take Kelly to the ER uh, with COVID, and I I pull up to uh, the drop off spot because she was really weak, couldn't get out and uh, or couldn't walk from the parking garage and. Uh, and so I drop her off, and I go to park, and then I was going to go with her, knowing that they probably weren't going to let me in, uh, but I at least wanted to say goodbye, give her a hug, and, and send her off to I, we didn't know what. And, uh, and I come back, and she's gone. She's already in there. I didn't have the opportunity to, uh, to, to pray with her or to say goodbye, and I started losing it. And I'm really glad... Nobody saw it because it was a mess. It was like, you know, you know, that kind of crying. And, and so I, I sit in my car and I, I start praying. And interest, and this verse came to me because I thought, God, I often just come to you when I'm desperate. And I wonder how I live my life accordingly 
so that when I come to you, it's like your kids. Have you ever given your kids advice on anything and then do the complete opposite of it? Uh, and then when things don't go well for them, what happens is they often come back and you're like, oh, now you need me? Now, now you want my advice? Now you want my help? And, 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 I, and I don't believe that our Heavenly Father responds to us the way that we do with our earthly, uh, as earthly parents, but, but there is a level of, I wonder if we began to live the way that he's called us to live, if we wouldn't have as many times in which we are so desperate to come to him. And James is reminding us that you and I can pray an effective prayer, a fervent prayer. And it says that it will accomplish much. I want to pray that. I want to pray effective and fervent prayers. Effective means that it works. I want things that work in my life. If you've ever had things that fail, uh, you know, when your phone stops working, it's frustrating. I want something that works in my life, and I want my prayer life to work. When was the last time that we confessed our sin to someone else? We've kind of got, I mean, you know, if you have a Catholic background, you're used to confession, and you're like, ah, I don't know about confession and all that, but... But this passage of Scripture says that we are to confess our trespasses one to another. And I just wonder, like, how comfortable have we gotten not doing that? Not sharing with those who are close to us, those who are, who, who, who are in our life that we have relationship with, where we're able to just be honest and just say, Man, I am struggling in this area. There's something in confession and vulnerability that brings about humility. And one of the greatest overused and out-of-context verse in recent history is 2 Chronicles 7.14, where it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive their sin and I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. I think that maybe, certainly I have fallen into the trap of wanting instant gratification, wanting results without the commitment, without the sacrifice. And, I mean, think about it. If, if you just level that down into our health, I want to be skinny but I don't want to give up the things that I like to eat, and I certainly don't want to exercise. I, I want a magic pill. I want, I want the thing that was on Shark Tank that I see on Facebook that you eat it, and it just shrinks all the fat in you. Like, that, that's what I want. And we know that that's not going to happen. We know that the only way that you're going to lose is if you eat less and if you start working out or eat healthier and you start working out. We know what the answer is. We just don't want to do it. And I wonder, even in our, in our Christianity, we know what God's asking of us. We know that how he's called us to live our life. But the problem is, is we don't want to do it. But we want the results 
don't we? He says, if my people will humble themselves. One of the ways that we can humble ourselves is confessing our sins one to another. He says, if you turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear you. Then I will heal your land. We don't want to turn from our wicked ways. We don't want to, we want to live our life the way that we want to live our life. In the book of Acts, we see a bunch of people coming together, the church. And they're praying. And, and when they start praying, things happen. And as we look into the windows of the New Testament church, they really become kind of a mirror for us in how we can approach prayer. That, that God can actually bring deliverance through prayer. And that even in the midst of our own doubt, he still hears us and he still responds to our prayer. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 18, I'm going to read through quite a few verses here, but it sets up the, the context and the story of this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. In other words, the church is growing, it's, it's expanding and spreading across the land. Their influence is, is getting greater, and, and he's, he's arresting those who belong to the church, intending to persecute them and set an example of them. He, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. He felt that if he could get Peter, if he could put Peter before trial and execute Peter, then he could shut down the entire movement. Remember, it was Peter who preached to the masses that through God, uh, or that God's Holy Spirit gave him a message to preach, and, uh, and many people got saved. So if he could just take down Peter, then... Maybe he could take down the movement. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, heading, uh, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. I don't know how big that is, but it's a lot. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, and so Peter was kept in prison. But the church, just underline that, highlight it if you're looking in the Bible out, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Earnestly there in the, is the same Greek usage as uh, that we saw in James where it says fervent. He was, they were fervently praying. They were earnestly praying for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Peter seems to, throughout the story, the gospel story, he seems to sleep a lot. Uh, I can somewhat identify with this angel because my son also likes to sleep a lot. He could fall asleep standing up. I'm certain of this. And here's Peter, how can you even be sleeping? You're chained to two guards, and all of a sudden, light shone in the cell. Light is shining in there, and that didn't wake him up. And so the angel struck Peter, uh, struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Again, totally identifiable with my son. 
Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And look at what this says. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. The power of an effective, fervent prayer. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who also called, uh, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. The church. Peter knocks at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda. I like that name, Rhoda. I don't know why, it's just fun to say. But Rhoda, sweet little Rhoda, comes to answer the door. And when she recognizes Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she didn't open the door. You would imagine that maybe Peter missing from prison, people are looking for him, and uh, so he might want to get inside as soon as possible, but Rhoda decides, I'm going to go back and tell everybody that Peter's standing outside the door. Peter's at the, uh, she goes out, explains, Peter's at the door, and this is what their response, this is the Bible, you're out of your mind, Rhoda. Rhoda, you don't know what you're talking about, they told her. When she kept insisting that it, was, uh, that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. He's like, hello, <laughs> like, I kind of want to get inside. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were shocked that Peter was rescued. What does that mean to you when you hear that the church who was praying for Peter, they were contending for God to do a miracle for Peter. They did not want to see Peter die. And all of a sudden, he's standing before him, and it says they were astonished. Which translates to me that they may have been praying, not really believing that actually God's going to do something. Instead, he shows up and they're astonished. They're, oh, oh, we were praying for this, so, you know, I guess it happened. Like, God did something. How many of us, have you ever prayed that way? I will will confess, I have prayed for things that I've not believed were going to happen. How messed up is that? And, you know, you all are going to probably go to a different church after this week but because you're like our pastor doesn't pray in faith like if you're being honest there are times where we get in a rut or we get in places where it's something that seem, is seemingly impossible we find ourselves praying for and I just want to remind you this scripture is a reminder to you that even if doubt is creeped in he still hears your prayer Thank God he does not disqualify the deliverance 
that can happen in our life because we doubt it. I love how the story ends. It says, but Peter mentioned with, uh, uh, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet (laughs) because he had just escaped from prison. Hey, you guys want to keep it down in here? They're looking for me. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. He's like, you guys are too loud. I'm going somewhere else. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had happened become, or what had become of Peter. I want to learn how to pray effective and fervent prayers that will break chains, that will open doors, that will rescue a broken humanity. That's, that's why we gather to pray. That's why why we get online and, and come together, even if digitally. I, I don't fully understand um, the translation necessarily of, of how all, all of the gathering translates digitally. I know that it's challenging, certainly with worship, but, but when we collectively come together to pray, we do so with the expectation and the understanding that with his fervent prayer or with with our fervent prayer God is going to move that his promises are true but so often in our doubt and unbelief it it can stop us short of praying through fervent prayer is praying through it's praying through our emotions through our feelings it's praying through the struggle We have to learn how to pray through it. Every one of us is going to have to learn how to pray through. And this morning I want to give you five quick ingredients of effective prayer this morning. And and you see this throughout the New Testament. The first thing is this, is where there is pressure, where there is prompting, where there is pain... Those are the places in which we learn to pray effective prayer. When there is pressure, when there is prompting, and when there is pain. I'm telling you, we have lived through the comfortability of an era where it is, has, has been fairly easy to be Christ followers. And if what I read through Scripture is true, and I believe it is, that it only is going to get more challenging for us. And if it gets more challenging, it's going to be through the pressure, through the prompting, and maybe even, honestly, through the pain that we are going to have to pray through and press on. There's a shifting taking place spiritually. Listen to me. I'm not, I'm not making any predictions or assumptions about political transitions or any of that. I am telling you what I sense in the spiritual realm. I'm, I'm not a politician. I'm a spiritual guy. God called me into the ministry, not into politics. Although I think I would do a pretty good job at it. But, but here's the reality. is In the spiritual realm, we are seeing a battle. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. I believe there's a shift that's taking place. You can, I'm, I'm not prophesying. I'm just telling you what I know to be true of Scripture. 
Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. I'm so glad that he hears the cry of his people. There's nothing that will make you pray harder and longer than a problem. A problem will always cause me to fall to my knees and pray. But as I was thinking about that moment in the car, as I was crying out to God for my wife, and, and we actually believe that it was in that moment prayers went out all across. We, I said this last week, we really believe that she had at least at a minimum early onset pneumonia, and we believe that she was, her lungs were healed. And and I was thinking about the fact that of, of how I felt, you know, coming to the Lord and, and crying out in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my problem. And then I was thinking, you know, if it is my needs that cause me to go to my knees in prayer, then thank God for the chaos because it's driven me to my knees. Thank God for the chaos because it's made me dependent upon him and not myself. If we allow our road in this life to be paved by prayer, it doesn't we don't have to understand where the road's going. We don't have to understand even how we're going to get there. But I can tell you this that if you pave whatever road it is that you're on with prayer, the destination is going to be greater than you can ever imagine. So we recognize that it is in pressure prompting and in our pain that we continue to pray through. And we also pray with passion. Passion goes a long ways. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition, petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. My prayer is, Lord, help me to pray with passion. So often, God meets me outside my comfort zone. I'm not a person who uh, is really accused of a, being a passionate prayer. Uh, I, I tend to be a little bit more reserved, a little bit more timid in my prayer time. And I think I've somewhat justified that. It doesn't matter if I, I come with him with a reservation and timidness. He still hears it, and that, that is true. But I do believe that the Lord is calling me personally and maybe you out of our reservations into Things beyond our comfort zone. Number three, we pray with persistence. Lord, help me not to give up. Even when I don't see the answer, even when I believe the answer is, <laughs> is greater than what you can do. How crazy is that? What we're really saying is the answer is greater than what I can do. But what we ought to be praying is with eager expectation that it, I can't do it. 
God, only if you can do it. Have you ever prayed for someone and it got worse? Oh, so you guys are all perfect and I'm the only one that's done it? Like, seriously, you've prayed for a spouse or you've prayed for a relationship and it seems like they're closer to the devil than they were before you started praying. And it's like, what is going on? And, and, and I just, I recognize that sometimes things don't necessarily work out the way that we want them to work out. It's not a reason to stop praying. It's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, they're getting worse. I better stop praying. It must be me, right? I'm, I'm, I'm praying wrong. No, we keep praying. Jay shared a couple of weeks ago about Jonah, and I was thinking that I would use his prayer in Jonah 2.1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. It wasn't that he prayed and then all of a sudden he was released. He was there for a while. And he continued to pray, and he continued to pray, and even in the midst of his disobedience, the Lord heard his answers, or heard his cry. Number four, we pray in partnership with others. You see this all throughout the New Testament. I'll give you one example in Matthew 18. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There's power in agreement. If you can find a friend who can pray the word of God over you, if you can be a friend that can pray the word of God over someone else, Someone who can stand in agreement with you. I was thinking about, I told my wife my message was short and it's not. I apologize for that. But I was thinking about um, our prayer on Saturday mornings a a few weeks ago. Uh, It's quite actually a couple months ago now. I had gone to the doctor about my hip because I was trying to come up with a plan. Do I get surgery? Do I not get surgery? And uh, because I was told that the uh, avascular necrosis was continuing to uh, digress and, uh, or was, was continuing to progress, so it's getting worse. And so I went to the doctor, a new doctor, in November, and he took some x-rays, and he said, actually, it it's doesn't seem to be progressing at all if... Uh, or very fast, if at all. And, uh, you know, I had been praying and asking other people to pray, but recognizing I'm probably going to schedule surgery in December. And so I came back uh, that Saturday after my appointment, and uh, the plan that we had come up with was, uh, with the doctor was that we were just going to move forward, that that until it was bothering me, that I could, I could do everything I wanted to do and everything I needed to do and uh, with little to no pain, that, uh, that I was going to just continue on. And the doctor's like, it could last, your, your pins could last, uh, uh, you know, 20 years or 20 days. We don't know. <laughs> so awesome. Um, and so I remember coming back, I was actually sitting on the stage and, and one of the, uh, Dr. Opie, one of the the people that come every week to pray, uh, I just shared the testimony that this is how we're going to, to move forward. And, uh, and it, it, was like, it, it was like the Lord speaking through him to me, and I think everybody in the room felt it. 
getting emotional. He just said, Pastor, you're not going to have to have the surgery. You don't have to worry about it. It's healed. Like he's, He was speaking in faith. And here I am living my life doubting whether or not he could actually heal it. And I thought, Lord, even in my doubt, you hear me. But I'm so grateful for people in my life who speak words of life, the promises of God, praying those over us. That's what we need. And listen, in a in a season of isolation, you need people to partner with you in prayer. Finally, we pray focused on the person of Jesus. As I said at the outset, we pray in the name of Jesus. We don't pray in any other name. If you hear one thing today, hear that it is through the authority and through the power of the name of Jesus. In John chapter 14, in verse 13, it says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It is in the name of Jesus. We don't pray to creation. We don't pray to to the hills, to the trees, to the great spirits, to other gods. We're different. If you are a, a follower of the way of Jesus, you are different. You are set apart. We pray in the name of Jesus. We sing a song with the lyrics... And I need a tissue. That way I don't just put it on my fingers. We sing a song. I thought we sang a song. I think Rachel has actually sang this song before. Uh, But it says, Jesus, Jesus, You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, you silence fear that your name is the light that the shadows can't deny. Your name will not be overcome. Your name is alive and forever lifted high. We sing another song, and this one I know that we sing. It says it is through the powerful name of Jesus that there is no rival, there's no equal. His name is above all names that nothing can stand against it. And then today we sing by faith I see a miracle because my God has made me a promise and he won't stop now. Friends, our prayer life, it's got to shift a little bit. It's got to change. Our commitment and our, 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 our dedication, not, not in a works-based salvation, but our dedication to be in the presence of God. 
to step out in faith and believe that, that God actually can break the chains, that he can open up the doors, that he can rescue people from the bondage of their life, that our prayer is filled with faith that not that yeah that he'll have a slow and I mean a, a quick and painless death but that actually he will be delivered that instead of thinking yeah let's pray for a miracle to take place in my hip but really believing and even planning on a, a, a surgery to take place actually believing that God's going to heal it instead of thinking that you're dropping your wife off at the ER and never going to see her again, actually praying and believing that God's not done with her yet, that his promise is that, that by faith I see a miracle because my God has made that promise. That's our response as Christ followers. See, we've gotten comfortable. I've gotten comfortable. Maybe you have to. That it's easy for us to just go along living a pretty good life. We're not doing anything, you know, we're, it's not like we're sinning a lot. But we're playing defense instead of playing some offense and going after the things that God has actually called us to contend for and pray for and believe. I go to other countries and you're probably not going to do your song. I'm sorry. Um, it was it was just I surrender all, you know. Like, and uh, as I've had the opportunity to travel to other countries, there's some in the room that that have. We experience a response, a a, a response from the heavens. In other places, and I just I wonder if if maybe we're missing something here, that, that in our comfortableness, in our provision that we have, our dependence upon God has suffered. And I believe that if there's anything we've learned from the past year and anything as we move forward is we are completely and totally dependent upon him. And our prayer should reflect such. Our prayer should be a reflection of our dependency upon him and not a dependency upon us. Let's pray.